everyone. I'm Anne Helen Peterson, and this is Work Appropriate. We have had a couple of really heavy episodes, so I thought it was time to do something just slightly lighter and focus on a question that I think a lot of us have had over the course of our careers. Should I make friends at work? If I should, how do I do it? If I have them, how do I manage those friendships, especially when one of us gets promoted or moved or fired and things get awkward? I found the perfect coworker here at Crooked, someone with a whole lot of work friend experience, to be my co-host. My name is Trayvell Anderson. I use they, them pronouns, and I am a journalist, an author, co-host of Crooked Media's What A Day podcast. I have another podcast. You know, I got 12 jobs, okay? (laughs) Well, this is why you are the perfect person for this episode, (laughs) because like a lot of us, you do and have done so many things for work. So can you talk through a little bit of that journey for us? Yes. Um, So I've been a journalist for the last decade or so. I started my career at the Los Angeles Times in a diversity fellowship program. Um, I was there for four years covering Hollywood, entertainment, movies, etc. Left there to go to Out Magazine to be their director of culture and entertainment. So then I was in like management and leadership at that point. Um, And then got laid off two days before Christmas 2019. Um, And I have been a freelancer Ever since, got a couple podcasts. I just wrote a book that came out a couple weeks ago called We See Each Other, A Black Trans Journey Through TV and Film. Um, and I do some consulting here or there. I do a little little this, a little that, you know, whatever I need to do to pay the bills. So what are your thoughts on the necessity of work friendships or work relationships? I, I feel like I've mm. gone through different periods in my life where they felt really important and sometimes when i'm like work friendships are part of the problem you know what i mean (laughs) absolutely (laughs) i think it depends on how much time you are actually spending at work right and what other types of friend groups you may or may not have access to so when i first started at the la times i had just moved out here by myself i didn't know anybody and I was in this fellowship program that made me feel like I always had to be working and I always had mm-hmm. to like volunteer to do extra shit. And so work friends became very important because that was like the only sort of community that yeah. I had. Um, and yeah. I'm still close with some of those people to this day. But then over the years, work friendships have become less necessary because I've built kind of my own community outside of work to where now I feel like I can have more of a separation between, oh, that's a work colleague. We go out to happy hour maybe once every other week. Um, but I'm mm-hmm. really spending my time with like my core group of friends who who may not even know what the hell I do for a living, you know? Right. I mean, I think there's two things that often happen in the years immediately after college or grad school. Like, Mm -hmm. when you're in college, you're used to your friends being your colleagues, right? Right. Your fellow students. And so the thing that you spend most of your day doing is also the primary source of your friendship. So it makes sense when you go into a fellowship, when you go into grad Mm -hmm. school, when you go into your first job – especially at any job where a lot of the other workers are your age, that that then becomes your primary source of friendship. And I think 
as you so smartly point out, when you are in, quote unquote, hungry jobs that take all of your day Mm -hmm. and subsume your identity, what happens then is that they become your only source of friendship. Yeah. And so when you lose a job, when you get laid off, if there's some sort of like toxic shit that happens at work because it happens a lot, that's so destabilizing. Mm-hmm. And also, like, what if you date someone at work? Because mm-hmm. if your only friend group is your friends at work, mm-hmm. then that's oftentimes how you start dating them, right? Mm-hmm. And then you break up. And oh my gosh, <laughs> it's a bad scene. Yes. Like, early BuzzFeed, it was like college in terms of like people dating multiple other people, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. There was just mm-hmm. not enough people. That is messy. So messy. So messy. Do not suggest, <laughs> do not advise, to be clear. I actually, you know, it's, it's, and I know it's tough, right? Because these are the only people you're seeing. You're spending all your time at work. So you don't really feel like you have time to find somebody, you know, outside of it. But don't, if you can avoid it, you know, please do. It just can get very, very messy very quickly. So our first question is going to be from someone who actually feels desperate for a work front so oh this is from i know right um this is from rita and our producer melody is going to read it for us i'm 30 and finishing my first year of my first office job i love the work i do but it's very isolating compounded by the fact that my new nine to five schedule doesn't match those of my friends who are all in grad school and retail how do i make a work friend For context, I'm in an atypical admin role at a large university in a large city. My job is more research and project-oriented than other admins in my department. All staff are on different hybrid schedules. I stand out demographically. I'm the youngest staff member by several years, as well as one of the only ones without children. As well, my day-to-day is so different from the other admins that it's hard to relate on that level, too. So where do I start? I mean, this is this is a tough one, right? Because she says, "I it's hard for me to maintain my friendships outside of work because of schedules and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And so she's, I think, dreaming, maybe fantasizing about finding that one person at her job that could fill that role that has been harder with her existing friends. But then, okay, there's two options. One, she can really open herself and open her mind to making friends with older people. Mm-hmm. Which is mm-hmm. a thing, right? Like, Absolutely. I actually think that can be an incredibly generative friendship. And the great thing about making friends who are a different age than you is that they are not going through the same shit as you. Absolutely. Like, they just have perspective and you can help with kids or you cannot help with kids if that's not your thing. Like, there's, there's, <laughs> there's so many options. But if that's not her thing, if she's like, I don't want to become friends with Jan, age 60, in accounting or whatever – then at a university, there's just there's not going to be a lot of new people that she's going to meet. Like this is a yeah. very bureaucratic, staid environment in a lot of ways. What do you think? Yeah, no, I I I think you have to hang this up, Rita. I don't think you're going to get any work <laughs> friends uh, because of all of the various stipulations that you have laid yeah. out that make it difficult to even meet. And be in the same space with people who are working your your similar schedule. Um, I would yeah. say that you say that your current group of friends, their current schedule, because they're in grad school or they work retail, doesn't often match up with your nine to five schedule. To me, mm-hmm. this seems like an opportunity since you have a nine to five schedule, figure out what type of activities or opportunities you can get involved in 
after five that you can make new friends doing, right? So is it a book club? Is it, I don't know, do you do CrossFit? Do you go knitting or whatever, right? And like try to find those types of spaces so that you can build relationships with people who have like some sort of similar interest to you. And you don't have to worry about like trying to make a friend at work. It can just be work. I think it's, I think it's very helpful for like work to just be work. You go to work, Mm -hmm. you do what you got to do. When you clock out at five o'clock, it's deuces, right? And then you go live your life in a a more generative type of way. That would be my suggestion. Or I wonder if there is, I'm making this up off the top of my head. I wonder if, is there like a young, like young staff member or like young professor group or something on campus because you know there's always like a host of adjunct professors who are typically around this age or grad students are typically around this age TAs right um there might be possibility there so they won't be co-workers necessarily but they will be you know familiar with the institution and familiar with some of the bureaucracy or whatever that you might have to navigate if there's some sort of collective or group like that that might be a good option but otherwise you just yeah don't work friends are overrated i'm just gonna (laughs) i'm just gonna say it no i think (laughs) i'm gonna have to play devil's advocate with you because i am kind of on the same page as you. So we have to create some tension. I have to be like, oh, but what if you need some work friends? But I think both of us are saying, Rita, if you want a friend, there's so many ways to make a friend. You don't have to make that friend at work, yes. right? Yes. And I also feel, you know, age 30, I have such a vivid memory of being that age and just feeling like my friends were going in different directions. Mm-hmm. Some people were getting married. Mm-hmm. Someone had a baby and you just feel like this interesting moment of like I get, do I need to make new friends so that I have friends moving forward and I can feel a little bit of that kind of in yeah. the background of this question and I mean the overarching advice that I have now that I'm much I, I just turned 42 is that sometimes you'll go through those periods of like our schedules don't work it feels like we're in different life periods like and if they're good friends, you'll come back to one another. Yeah. But it's also worth trying to, to figure out the other people that are that you have something in common with that like can be your support system and it doesn't have to be a work friend. Yeah. I so I'm 31. So right in this mm-hmm. age with Miss Rita here. And like you were mm-hmm. saying, I have folks that, you know, were my friends in in high school, in college, and we just grew in different directions. No love yep. lost, nothing, you know, negative. It's just, especially once I moved to the West Coast and they're all still on the East Coast. Yep. That time difference, yep. y'all, my God, today. <laughs> um, it really shifts things. Um, but you're right. I do think, like, you know, you just take the time to build and find community elsewhere. And those relationships from, you know, those other groups that are meant to be, they will stand the test of time if they're supposed to. But you can also begin to to build a new community um again for me i would say outside of work considering the various stipulations that you you listed um that allow you to kind of i don't want to say replace what you might be missing out on but to like fill in you know just like new possibilities of what those relationships could look like
Mobility by Lydia Keesley, the first book from Crooked's book imprint, Crooked Media Reads, is now available for pre-order. The novel is part coming-of-age story and part indictment of capitalism moving between Houston, Athens, and Baku. It tracks themes of class, power, politics, and desire all through the life of this one compelling character, Bunny Glenn. Mobility is gripping. It's hilarious. It's one of those novels you'll nag all your friends to read. I love Lydia Kiesling's work. I cannot wait for this to come out. You can pre-order your copy at crooked.com slash mobility or wherever books are sold. So you can be the first to read it when it's released August 1st. Our next question is about starting out as friends, but then the power dynamic changes. This is from Caroline, and Amelia from Crooked's social team is going to read it. My current supervisor started out as my colleague, and we had a colleague's relationship. We went out to drinks, followed each other on Instagram, and sometimes went to parties with each other. She actually comforted me when my ex and I broke up. It's been odd since she became my supervisor because I still want to have a friendship with her and post stuff on my Instagram without it affecting my job. How should I navigate our new relationship? Ah, this is so awkward. And also why I'm always like tentative about people following (laughs) each other on Instagram, right? If they're Mm -hmm. your colleague. Also, like, what if you want to play hooky and you want to, you know what I mean? And you're like out like hanging and someone like accidentally tags you. Yes, I have been there. I have been there as well. Um, So... Like, what would you advise her to do in this situation? So I'm a fan of being just, like, direct and upfront. By which I mean, if I were you, I would have a conversation with this this colleague, now supervisor, and I would say, hey, we started our relationship as friends, as equals. You got this promotion, and so now you're my boss. But, like, we're still friends. And so let's figure out how we we make this work for both of us. Where my job is never in danger because you see that I'm, you know, I took a four-hour lunch instead of the 30 <laughs> minutes I'm supposed to because you're you're following my Instagram. And then also that person doesn't feel like they have to, you know, endanger their job because they have to, you know, be the boss right. in a particular situation. Right. I think just like having that conversation straight up is the way to go um, because I imagine that your friend, your your supervisor is probably thinking in, about navigating this same issue with you as well. Totally. This is also the sort of thing that I could see someone like worrying about every night when they wake up in the middle of the night and just being like, oh my gosh, I should unfollow her and ask, but what if she's still following me? Like, it's just one of those silly, mm-hmm. silly things that haunts you. Whereas if you expend 15 minutes to have this semi-awkward conversation where you're just like, hey, we switched our relationship. What do you think about unfollowing each other on Instagram? Just to like make those lines clear. And I think that doing the work of saying that by extension suggests like, oh, we're not going to be like super intimate friends anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to be weird and explicit about Maybe we shouldn't go to parties together. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to do that sort of thing. It'll be implied by the Instagram unfollow. But I wouldn't do it without talking to them. Oh, no. Because they're still going to be following you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you want to be clear with the person that like, it's no shade. It's not. There's nothing negative in my unfollowing. It's just that, you know, you as my boss should not probably not know that I was out till 4 a.m. this morning dipping in and doing it at the club, you know? 
Or whatever. Or whatever, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this is the flip, which we're kind of, this question is is the same idea, but flipped. Um, It's from Tammy. I have a good friend I met at a previous job. I left that job for a similar job that pays twice as much. I recruited my friend to work at my new job. And I was just promoted to team lead, which will go into effect in July and will make me my friend's supervisor. I already feel a strain on our relationship. Do you have any advice on how to navigate this change? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, you know, similar, but it's not necessarily about Instagram. Like they are good friends. Mm -hmm. They don't want to unfollow each other on Instagram. Yeah. But now she has that like slight upper hand. So, yeah. What do you think here? I think that the responsibility here is on you, Tammy. You are, you know, the team lead. And similar to what we said to Caroline, you've got to have this conversation. And you've got to have the conversation and you've got to say, hey, things are different now. These are the parameters and the boundaries that we're going to put in place so that, you know, if you want to remain friends, y'all can remain friends, but let's put some boundaries in place so that we know when when friend time is and when boss and work time is, right? And never shall the two meet <laughs> yeah. so that I, as the team lead, can do what I need to do in a supervisory mm-hmm. capacity for my job. But then when we, yeah. if we go out for drinks afterwards or if we do something on the weekend, we can we can know that that's, that's friend time and we, we do a separation. We figure out what that separation looks like for us. So I would say that Tammy needs yeah. to take the lead here and say... Let's talk about it and go from there. Yeah. And so this hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen in July. So there's time to kind of put those ground rules. Mm -hmm. That's not a great word for it. But those parameters in place before it happens. The other thing, and this is kind of future tense, and I don't know the specifics of Tammy's job, but like if there's ever an opportunity for her not to be her friend's supervisor, like to change teams, that probably is the smartest idea, if that is a possibility. If it's not, I really agree with you that having a conversation ahead of time, but I do think that it is just hard to be managed by your really good friend who is your really good friend from before. And maybe acknowledging this is hard is going to be part of the work. This is what you say to the person. It's going to be hard on both of us. We're going to be figuring this out as we go. And we both need to feel comfortable at every stage to be like, you know what? This is no longer working for me. Let's pivot in this type of way. Right? Or let's pivot in a different way so that, you know, Tammy, you feel like you can not only do your job, but also maintain your friendship if that becomes the case. But also that your friend feels like maybe you're actually a horrible leader. Maybe you're a horrible (laughs) supervisor. Yeah. Right? And that friend should be able, should feel comfortable enough to be able to articulate that to you. Yeah. Right? Without it, you know, creating further issues cuz you know some people are great friends and when when you're coworkers and you're on the same level it's fine but then once they go up to a different level sometimes people change yep. some people start to act a little different cuz they got a little extra zero or two on their check you know and that can also change dynamics and so as long as I, as we're comfortable i think talking 
at every stage and figuring out what this new setup looks like, then I think we'll be fine. I think to your point, at any point that you or the friend can can move teams, then maybe consider that as well. Yeah. I think keeping communication open and saying, if there's ever a point where it's weird, can you talk to me about it? Right? Like, come to me. Yeah. But then also, I think it's incumbent on Tammy to maybe, like, make a note in her calendar to every other week. Just check in yeah. and be like, how is stuff going with us? Because yeah. she has more power in this relationship. So yeah. how yeah. does she make it more comfortable for her friend to bring up something that's making her feel weird? Absolutely. And also, self-reflection will be important, Tammy. Mm. Don't be an asshole <laughs> just because you the boss. Don't get power hungry just because you the boss, you know, and start talking to people. You know, people become bosses and they start talking to people out the side of their neck and, okay, <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> and, and that creates, that ends up creating more issues than just the fact that you became the boss. It's like, no, you became the boss and you got power hungry and you yeah. forgot how to talk to people, you yeah. know, on, on a regular level. So also be be self-reflective, Tammy, and make sure that you're not basically being a horrible boss or a horrible person because you got this promotion. Our next question is about something so many people have to navigate. This is from Tanya. Is it ethically okay to continue to work for someone who holds problematic beliefs? In other words, am I the worst kind of sellout to keep working for my boss and mentor who I know is an anti-vaxxer, a landlord many times over, and overall a deeply prejudiced person? I think I know the answer, but as a queer leftist working in the tech industry, I come up against this conundrum all the time. Is it possible for me to achieve my career goals without completely selling my soul? Mm. Well, so first we have to really point out that people whose identities are marginalized for whatever reason have had to navigate this dynamic forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now that like also navigating this, since, you know, I think people mm-hmm. with a lot of societal privilege, it's mostly like post-2016 that they're like, oh, do I need to worry about working for an asshole? Maybe. But I also think that there's kind of this interesting, like, black and white that our question asker asks, which is, like, sometimes people phrase conundrums like this, like, well, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, so I guess I just have to deal with it because no matter who I work (laughs) for, they will hold problematic beliefs in some capacity. But, like, there is a difference... (laughs) Between mm-hmm. working for like the Koch brothers and mm-hmm. working working for someone who's a landlord. So what's your take here? You know, this is tough. Um, because actually, no, it's not tough. I'm gonna directly answer your question. Is it ethically okay to continue to work for someone who holds problematic beliefs? I won't say ethically okay or not ethically okay, but is it okay? Yes. Because why we all have to survive and we have to navigate this world. We've got bills to pay. We've got responsibilities. And, you know, the world is crappy enough to where, like you mentioned, you probably going to end up working for somebody who has a belief or two that you personally might not agree with, right? Like that. that is the the circumstances. However... I do think you have to figure out for yourself what are your what are your boundaries with yeah. those things, right? Like what are the issues that you cannot explain away for yourself? Like for me, I cannot work for um 
Uh, well, I'm a freelancer now, so I work for myself. Praise the Lord. Um, <laughs> but recently, I was considering taking a job in Georgia. It would be a full-time job. I'd be back in a newsroom. But the newsroom did not provide gender-affirming care for trans folks mm. as covered in in their insurance plan. And then the CEO of the company actually had said some very transphobic things publicly over the last, you know, five to seven years mm -hmm. or so. And for me, just because of the work that I do and who I am and all of those things, I cannot work for someone like that. Yeah. Um, especially when it's explicit, when it's, when it's out there, you know, for everyone. And so I think you have to figure out what your things are and then also be thinking about even if you are working for a person or an entity that is somehow problematic, how are you personally contributing to it? Yeah. By which I mean, are they being racist, anti-Black, transphobic, homophobic in front of you and you're not saying anything? Mm hmm so then you're you're being complicit in the creation of you know yeah. this horrible are environment like and all these issues, in it, right? Like, are you like Ivanka in this exactly. situation, like facilitating exactly. it through your very presence, right? Exactly. And if you are just because of the nature of the position or whatever, then maybe that's something that you need to question and wrestle with for yourself. But if it's just something that's like in the ether or in the atmosphere that you are trying to figure out how to navigate, um, then maybe it's it's less of of a concern. What about what do you think, Anne? I, this is where I think it gets hard because sometimes like if you're a cisgendered white male, there often isn't a lot of threats to you yourself, right? Unless it's mm -hmm. a it's a mm -hmm. threat or a compromise to someone in your family. So sometimes I think, and this is where like progressives sometimes work themselves into stitches, is like, I don't want to only be fighting for my own identity, right? For my own protections. Mm -hmm. So how do I use my societal powers to try to like push back against any organization that is harming people who aren't like me? Maybe that harm will never come back at me directly, but it still matters to me. I think choose your battles. Absolutely. Like if I if I think about all of my former employers, like one of my former employers was a university that was invested in fossil fuels in like the endowment was. And there were a lot of people like students at the college that were really fighting this and trying to lobby the board. And I think I had some conversations with some of them that were saying, you know, what if professors also quit? Uh oh. You're like, there's no other jobs. We're gonna go right. <laughs> <laughs> or, in, or in journalism, right? Where it's like, uh, I could right. quit this job, this full time job, and where where else could I go? Um, and I I think, like you said, it's something that the more you think about it and you figure out where your boundaries are, and you know, like people know you have a you have a pit in your stomach that feels like shit. Yeah. And if you are working every day to ignore that then you're doing something bad. You gotta yeah. get out of there. Yeah. Listen Listen to your body. <laughs> your body will always tell you absolutely yeah. how to proceed. Um, and, and the last thing I, I like to tell people is that like, if you do find yourself, if you find that you're working at a place that like 
turns your stomach that is very difficult to just like exist in because of either who you are and how they make you feel or because of the behavior that you see them perpetuating against communities that you don't belong to but you want to support and advocate on behalf of figure out how you can begin to make your exit and find a different space that will be more hospitable to yourself and to those other communities that doesn't necessarily mean you quit your job today Mm -hmm. But maybe you begin doing a a six-month process to try to find somewhere else. Like, I think oftentimes people think that that it has to be like a a quick decision. Like, I'm going to quit my job today because they're being homophobic or whatever. And it's actually like, okay, let's slow down. You might, you might need three to six months to transition somewhere else. And you might need a year yeah. for whatever reason. Like give yourself the grace to put in those off-ramp systems for yourself so that you don't have to make these immediate decisions based on kind of your morals or your ethics. Yeah. Because again, we are all trying to navigate and survive all of these systems. And like, what good are you going to be to whatever community you're trying to advocate for if if you can't even pay your own bills. Yeah. And I think, you know, some people tell themselves a story about working for a company that, you know, like working for Facebook. Like I knew someone who worked mm-hmm. for the, they, they worked on the content moderation. They were trying to fix content moderation. And I think they really mm. were trying to make like Facebook less shitty. That is a lot of weight to carry on your shoulders to try to fix Absolutely. a company that does not care about trying to fix that problem. You can only do so much. And so I think, you know, again, self-reflection here, figuring out what mm-hmm. does matter, talking to other people about it too, not necessarily your coworkers, but th- I think sometimes people don't talk with their friends or maybe even like their therapist about this because they're a little bit ashamed. They mm-hmm. don't want to mm-hmm. explain why they're in the job that they have been and why they've been there for so long if they have qualms about it. But talk about it more. And, it, you know, it's one of those things that as you talk, I think, It'll become apparent. And even in writing this question, our question writer said, I think I know the answer. You do. (laughs) (laughs) You do. Yes. All right, so that was heavier, and I want us to end on a fun and gossipy note. Uh, We finally get to answer a question about a work romance. This is from Callie, and our PR maven Ashley is going to read it for us. I'm a recently separated mother of two in midlife. I've surprised myself by finding a fling at my new office. I know office romances aren't recommended, but it's in a different city than the one my family lives in, and at least so far, we're keeping it on the DL, which, to be honest, is part of what makes it fun. And like something new that I deserve to have, finally. I don't know what to do besides try hard to make sure my new colleagues don't find out, but also honoring the joy I find in this new fling. We all know work relationships happen, so are there some best practices or something for someone like me just getting back in the saddle? I love getting best practices for getting back in the saddle. <laughs> I, uh, what, what do you think here? What are the best practices? Well, I would tell you to find a new saddle, uh, <laughs> to be quite honest, uh, because here's the thing. I'm I'm not concerned about the whole 
rom new romance, you know, as compared to you being like, you know, recently separated, your family's in a different city. I don't really care about that personally. I know that like mothers in particular work through a number of things when they're divorced or separated. There's kids involved. You want to make sure that the kids are okay and like all the I get it. Yep. Now, my issue, again, is just the office romance of it all. Like, I know that the the secret DL nature of this rendezvous you're having is part of the, the intrigue. Yeah. But if knowledge of this relationship or this, you know, situationship, whatever it is, coming public to your work environment is going to be a, a negative thing. Yeah. Right? then you need to just go ahead and nip it in the bud and go find somebody else, okay? Um, Because you, what we know is that I'm assuming that you are a a heterosexual woman and so that the person that you are talking about is a dude in your office. And we know historically that if this does come out and it blows up in a particular way, you as the woman are going to suffer the the graver consequences Mm -hmm. more than likely, both in terms of just like the rumor mill gossip fodder and then also in terms of potentially your actual job, right? And like... The sex isn't that good, I would imagine. Because maybe it is. I don't know. But <laughs> I feel sh- this sounds like someone who's having good sex. I don't know. <laughs> it does seem like she's having a whole lot of fun. Um, and that's fine, right? But like, there's enough fun out there in the world to yeah. where you can have some other fun elsewhere. Is is my Is my opinion. Especially if y'all are at a place where like, this is just a fling. You don't foresee there being anything, you know, more serious coming out of it. Mm-hmm. Like if it was, if there's a, a hope for some sort of seriousness out of it, then maybe, you know, we can explore it a little further. But like, if this is just for fun, I I don't, you got to have some other kind of fun somewhere else, friend. Well, and the person that she's having the fling with is in a different city. So probably, like, I don't, she doesn't sound like she wants to, like, move in with this person or anything. Mm -hmm. So I think appreciate it for what it is, which is a very low stakes first fling after separating from your partner. Yes. Because it's hard. The first, like, whatever, after you break up with someone, after you separate, after you divorce, like, it's hard to, to start again. But it also almost always is a rebound. Right? Like you are mm-hmm. emotionally excited, like sexually excited, vulnerable, all these different things. So hopefully when it hasn't reached the point where it's like too bad, difficult, like the to yeah. extricate yourself from the situation and appreciate it for what it is and use it as a springboard to find either to hang up by yourself, right? Because I think it's oftentimes underrated spending time by yourself and figuring out who you are and what you like after you end a relationship. Mm-hmm. Or use it to know that, like, you're hot and you're going to find another person to be with if you want. Period. Yeah, not in the workplace. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, know, you will find... I do have to say this as a caveat that, like, I met my partner at the workplace. It was messy. Would it have been better if we didn't meet at the workplace? Absolutely. But I also understand when it feels real, it feels real. You got to try to figure it out. If you do continue with it, make sure you're not in any position where you one or the other has power 
over the other, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then if it's been going on for a certain amount of time, I would say like three months. Mm-hmm. You got to tell, got to tell your managers about it. That doesn't mean gotta you have to go tell to your HR. Right? Yep, yeah, you you don't have to tell your colleagues, but you do have to tell people in power that this is happening, so yeah. that you can keep it above board. So that's the less fun advice. The more fun advice is that <laughs> you're hot. Go have another fling. <laughs> yeah, go out there. Go dip it in and do it. You know, go. You said this person said they're midlife. Yeah. Now, I know that people don't like when people say like, you know, go to the bar, go to the club, go wherever. But depending on which city you are in, there might be a great, you know, for that age group, like a great type of bar or like lounge type space where you can meet other people and you don't necessarily have to just like be beholden to the people that you come into contact with at at your workspace. Mm-hmm. You can have, you know, a little other type of rendezvous. Well, you know? and the great news from everyone that I know who's divorced or separated and has kids is that you, depending on how the custody shakes out, there are a lot of times when you don't have kids. So you can just go hang out. Mm-hmm. Like, so mm-hmm. you can you can figure out what you like. You can figure out what kind of person you want to be with. Yeah. There's a lot in front of you that is not limited to the selection of, of people at your work. Yeah, workplace. you could be like, you know, go to go to Jamaica and get your groove back like Stella did in the movie. <laughs> how Stella got a groove back. Oh my you gosh, know, the clothes? Like... Maybe she should just buy that wardrobe. <laughs> Absolutely. That's back Absolutely. in fashion. You make right you feel now. like a new person. <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> Uh, all right this has been fantastic we gave so much good advice (laughs) Uh, thank you so much for joining me today and where can people find you if they want to hear more from you if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on the socials at Travel Anderson on Twitter at Rayjon, R-A-Y-Z-H-O-N on the Instagram. And then, like I said, I co-host Crooked Media's daily news podcast called What a Day. Okay, we give you your daily news every weekday in about 20, 30 minutes with a little razzle-dazzle on top, I like to say. So you can find us wherever you're currently listening to this wonderful podcast. Amazing. Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Work Appropriate. If you need advice about a sticky situation at work, we're here for you. Submit your questions at workappropriate.com or send a voice memo with your question to workappropriate at crooked.com. We love building episodes around your questions and you can stay as anonymous as you'd like. Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on Instagram and Twitter for more original content, host takeovers, and other community events. You can follow me on Instagram at Anne Helen Peterson, or you can sign up for my newsletter, Culture Study, at annhelen.substack.com. And if you like the show, leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. It really helps. Work Appropriate is a Crooked Media production. I'm Anne Helen Peterson, your host. Our executive producer is Kendra James. Melody Rowell is our producer and editor. Alison Falzetta is our development producer. Music is composed by Chanel Critchlow. Additional production support from Ari Schwartz. And special thanks to Katie Long and Sarah Geismer. 